Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. this film the podcast where we reach back into your childhood pluck out a movie give it a rewatch and have a chat about it i'm emily slade and welcome back you watched it so many times before and now you're gonna watch it again but it's been so many years since you last saw it and now you show it to your friends and they're like what what am i watching why what why 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 this this film? film And I'm joined today by James. Hello. Hello there. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Surviving, I guess. Yeah, that's the word for it these days. Mm. Um, I am so excited because you have chosen 2002's live-action Scooby-Doo movie, which I genuinely have been, like, waiting to do for, like, years. Um, So the IMDb breakdown... Oh god, what is that word? Acrimonious. There we go. After an acrimonious breakup, the Mystery Inc. gang are individually brought to an island resort to investigate strange goings on. So, why this film? What's your relationship with it? If I'm honest, it wasn't my first film. I was going to go for the second Pokemon movie, but I know you didn't have a good time with the third Pokemon movie, so I figured... (laughs) Let's try and find something a bit different. Oh, that's very Um, sweet. (laughs) Well, what can I say? And (laughs) I had a lot of ideas, but for some reason Scooby-Doo stuck out in my mind. I remember Mm. my mum buying it from Asda. It had that green video case and I would just watch it on repeat and there was just something about it I really dug and thought, oh, this would be interesting to revisit. I honestly, this was the first movie that I ever brought with my own money. Um, It was from WH Smith, randomly, Mm -hmm. and the DVD case was really weird. It like sort of, it like um, folded over and then it had a sort of clip on the side instead of being like a normal, just like almost book-like DVD case. And it cost £7 and I bought it with my own money from WH Smith and... Like, obviously, I still have it to this day. It's the first movie I ever bought properly. And I genuinely love it so much. I don't even know that I'm going to be able to articulate it. It's, it shouldn't, I'm so baffled by it. It shouldn't work and it shouldn't be good. And everything that we loved about Scooby-Doo is like thrown away and they just do their own thing. I think the main thing about what it is, it is an absolute time capsule of the very early 2000s. And you don't get them like this anymore. No, it is so early 2000s from the soundtrack with Outcast and Simple Plan and yeah. All Stars, that British group, which was very random. So to... good. To stopping the film so Shaggy and Scooby can ride on quad bikes. Literally. It's 
it's you're right it's a very big a time capsule it really is and it 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 didn't need to be like i believe i don't know i think this is the first live action scooby-doo movie uh possibly even the first full-length hmm. cinematic adventure that the the gang ever had and they made such bizarre choices that i am a hundred percent here for the worst hated character in Scooby-Doo is Scrappy-Doo. Let's make mm -hmm. him the primary antagonist. What? If I saw that on paper and I was in a boardroom for this movie, I would have been like, what the fucking hell do you think you're doing? We want this to be successful. What the hell kind of choice is that? And yet you watch it and you're like, yeah, makes complete sense. I love it. Great. Great ideas That's... there. That one mo bit, that one choice, is how you know this has been made by someone who loves Scooby-Doo. It's yeah. someone who's taken the most hated element, universally despised, and just thought, let's villainize him. Let's yeah. make him the punching bag. Let's make everyone feel what we felt. Honestly, and it, they pull it off, in my opinion, I don't know, like maybe many people are disagreeing right now, shouting mm. on the train, like, what the hell? But um, I completely agree. I think it was made by someone that has a real passion for the original series. And, and obviously one of the main things as well, the whole, the whole thing of Scooby-Doo is that it's a man in the mask. It's a man in the mask. It's always a man in the mask. There are real monsters in this movie. Like, it's not just a man in a mask. There's like a couple men in masks, but like primarily there are actual real life monsters in this movie. I can't imagine coming to it as someone that maybe grew up with it in the 70s and mm. then were taking their kids to see this live action version and then watching it and being met with this sort of like, no, no, there are actual real life monsters in this movie. I can't imagine what they must have felt. I thought it was fucking awesome. <laughs> it is just wonderful. And it, funny you say about people taking their kids to see it because according to writer James Gunn, you know, the guy who did Guardians Galaxy yep. wrote this. He said that in 2017 that the original cut was R-rated. It what? was meant to be... Yes! That, um, it's been noted the original script had Shaggy was explicitly a stoner. Amazing. Vel Velma and Daphne were going to have a side relationship. I love it. And it's the fact that it got... They got the final... The cut and decided, no, let's cut it down and let's present it for kids. And... One bit which blew my mind, they use CGI to cover cleavage. That's bizarre. Hmm. That's so interesting. You can, now you've said it, you know when kids can sort of tell that something's like not for them? Yes. There, there must have been little elements of that. It did feel more than teenage. The teenage media that we were being fed back in the early 2000s, um was not really like this and i think it, it even though it's cheesy and even though it's ridiculous there were elements that felt a lot more mature than you'd have perhaps thought there would be so the fact that it was originally r-rated actually makes a lot of sense i can kind of f feel it i can't necessarily show you where mm. it, it's got that but i can definitely feel that it was a much more mature i mean classic jokes i didn't get when i was what 11 12 when i first watched this where um you know thingy walks up and she's like my name's mary jane and he's like that is like my favorite name and it wasn't until years later that i was like oh because weed is, yes. is known as uh mary jane there it is i get it now um i was gonna say matthew lillard but every 
single person in this movie is perfectly cast, in my opinion. I think the main four are perfect. I agree they're perfect. Mm -hmm. They fit so well into the roles, especially Matthew Lillard. He's one of those translations from original source material to big screen live action, which just feels like they've walked out and decided, yeah, I'm continuing this on. It feels so perfect. I maybe would say Rowan Atkinson feels like he's from another movie, but that's, that's just me. No, that's so interesting. I want to dive into that because this is mm. the thing. Part Little parts of my brain are like, this isn't right, but because I love, I love bad tone. I love mixed things in movies. I love it when things are kind of fucked up. Um, <laughs> Rowan Atkinson... I'd completely forgotten he was in this movie. I watched it Mm. and he steps out and he's like, Mystery Inc. And I was like, oh my God, it's Ron Atkinson. What are you doing in this movie? And then I was watching him and I was like, is it because he was Mr. Bean? And he's like a recognized face? Is he here to get the British audience on board? Is he here because he was like in America at the time? Like why were they like we need someone to be the human embodiment of scrappy do spoilers for the 2002 mm-hmm. scooby-doo movie here um and they just <laughs> like i know exactly what you're saying but i love it so much i love the com- the bizarre like because he's he's funny he's funny without even trying and I don't mm. think he's even phoning in this movie it doesn't feel like he's giving a half-assed performance he's he's there um, but it is like what and I think that just adds to why I love it because it's like what what why is <laughs> what the fuck um, and like uh, Isla Fisher is so clearly uh, like almost Daphne like. She, she she easily could have been up there. For, it, it's almost like she was in the running to become Daphne. And then mm. they gave it to Sarah Michelle and was like, okay, well, you can still be in the movie, but we'll, like, change the colour of your hair. And, and like, this is the thing as well, because she obviously plays Mary Jane, who uh, is essentially what becomes Shaggy's love interest. And I was really watching it this time round, something that I hadn't really clocked before. They make a point to give every Mystery Inc. character a love interest. And mm. usually I hate that shit, but because it's very much side plots and it allows for like exposition to come out and like it's cute and it's fun. Um, again, I'm not, I'm cool with it. I'm like, yeah, love it. Velma can have that hot guy, whatever. <laughs> Did you catch his name by any chance? Nope. No idea what he's going according for. To the, <laughs> according to the credits, he's listed as Velma's friend. I love it. I love it. They didn't give a shit. They didn't care. They were just like, well, obviously Fred, uh, Fred and Daphne will get together. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll bring in a sidekick for Thingy and then we'll get like a we'll get a Velma boyfriend. Like, it'll be fine. It'll just be some randomer. Just call him Velma's boyfriend. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> in a way, <laughs> it's... Like, it's- in a way, the way Velma's boy, Velma's friend <laughs> is treated is kind of like what when regular films have just 
a woman come in to be just a love interest and they're yeah. not even that interested in him. He could be replaced by a lamp. Exactly. <laughs> Which I... is the go-to sort of thing for when women are just there to be objects. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, he's just there to have exposition told to us and, and to sort of like be with Velma at the end. And it's like, cute, love it, nice. And wear his baseball shirts. Yep. In the middle of a hot... The island that they go to, this is why it's so 2000s and it'll never get made today. Just the whole vibe about it. It's like a sort of... I don't even know if it's problematic. It, it must be somehow because it, it's just this sort of like voodoo, Hawaii, just sort of like hot beach themed place where everyone's wearing such bright clothing and it's just sort of themed oh, like what is the theme that sort of like tika um, like yeah maybe a mix of tiki and um i think it's meant to be a resort for college students to get away like, like a Ibiza, spring break kind of thing I guess, yeah yeah but with more disembodied hands, heads and more of a macabre sense of humour. Yeah, which is fucking cool. Like, I genuinely totally go there. Like, it I looks would. so much fun. Um, and I just, I really love the aesthetic of it. And I think it just adds to the whole tone that they were going for. To set it mm. in this place is so clever. And I love how their outfits, they always stick with their sort of colour scheme but they're able to not just wear the same outfit every day. And I, mm. I just really love the sort of way they went about the wardrobes for the different characters. And it was just really enjoyable to watch. And we got to see them out of their normal stuff as well. And it's just really fun. Yeah, they got to mix and match. But even when Daf whether Daphne's wearing that dress or that full-on catsuit, she's still retaining her regular colour scheme. And it's it still, still like, feels very, very much Daphne. Her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, everything's so good. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I got very few notes. It's mainly like soundtrack okay. slaps, Hawaii theme, yes. <laughs> Cast perfect, fucking fight me. Um, <laughs> I'd agree about the soundtrack slapping. That cover they do of Scooby Dooby Doo over the climax, yeah. it still bangs to this day. Oh my god, it slaps so hard! <laughs> so good they did it in the sequel as well. I have not seen the sequel in a very long time. Um, I, I know that Seth Green is in it and I think he's mm. the main villain, which I am cool with. But I'm also, I just remember it being a bit more uh, pandering to like, I don't know, shit. <laughs> I don't know, I it's... don't remember. Is it as good? Honestly, when I was growing up, I thought, oh, the second one's better because it's got the original monsters and that. But okay. having rewatched it recently, I think the first one feel, I prefer the first one more because it feels very self-referential and meta in a mm. way that Phil Lord and Chris Miller would popularise with the Jump Street films and the Lego movie. Mm. And you're right, the second film is pandering a bit with, let's put all these original monsters in and work a plot around it. And Mystery Inc. are big and it doesn't have that same wit. They clearly knew ahead of time 
this is being geared towards a more child-friendly audience and they work there as such. Mm. Child-friendly and yeah all I really remember is when they put Velma in that like tight cat suit because she's like going on a date or something. Really just really yeah just really like unnecessary Mm. bizarre when she was able to sort of keep her like long knee-high socks in the first one pretty much the entire way through and and you know what's really good about the first one like it's it's genuinely got like arcs and themes and plants and payoffs there's whole running things of like Velma is the brains but she doesn't feel appreciated and then that Mm. comes to play like Daphne's got her whole, whole like Buffy the Vampire Slayer subplot where she like learns karate which like is so late 90s feminism but like mm. I'm here for it like feminism is feminism at the end of the it day. It does work. Daphne is a lot more of a proactive character through that. Exactly and... and like if you made the movie today you would want to do more with it but from mm. back then like it was enough of a step that uh, got me really engaged and especially with the casting of Sarah Michelle Gellar at the time like slap bang in the middle of her Buffy height um Mm. was very clever because you're inevitably going to be like Daphne is a badass um when yeah in the original series she is just the damsel in distress because she's the hot one or whatever um and just and all of the sort of uh flaws that the characters had like Fred being incredibly vain and self-centered but it and he never stops doing that because that's who he is but it doesn't make him a bad person and they all learn and grow and like you wouldn't think it would happen in this like bizarre movie but it it does and you don't really see such good themes in such casual popcorn movies anymore um I don't think anyway no, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, they go, they stay true to the characters, but they allow them to grow and become a bit more than what we've seen in the cartoons since, which have aired since the late 60s. Mm. It's very much, well, very much from James Gunn's script. It's clear that he gets who they are. And when Fred learns to step back a bit and allow Velma to actually... Uh, to actually come forward and get the respect she deserves to mm-hmm. feel appreciated for a role it feels like a step that's well earned it's not just yeah let's chuck in this last minute um bit of realization it's yeah it's an actual a arc that works full-on through line um it's just it's just so much fun it like movies aren't allowed to just be like fun anymore and like to the point where i i was like i'm gonna go watch the live action scooby-doo movie is anyone interested Mm. my mum was like yeah i'll sit in on that because it's just fun and like you can just watch it and have a good time and you really do like i don't find it confusing i don't find it Mm. offensive it's just really cute and aesthetically pleasing and funny um, like I quote it to this day. Anytime someone says sacrifice in any context, I respond with a reference, like <laughs> without fail, like all the time. Um, and just to pop back to the soundtrack again, like may I mean, it is the whitest thing in the world. But I love that like Scooby Doo rap over the credits. The like bow wow wow yeah like the the like terrible rap that they do over the credits and i just 
love it it is so bad but i love it so much um do you remember in january 2019 when shaggy's power became a massive meme and it was oh, all of those memes. i'm so glad you brought this up it's yes it was wonderful it to like... see shaggy stylized as some god super saiyan like that <laughs> And to see Freddie Prince Jr. just subtitles going over him saying, I remember when Shaggy came into work and announced he killed God. Yeah, it's like, so it basically, for those of you that weren't on the internet at that time, because it was only like a 48 hour thing, really. Mm. It appeared out of nowhere, flooded the internet and then left again. And I think it was a sort of rip off of um, Chuck Norrissey type stuff that had come before anyway. Mm. But it was screenshots from the live-action Scooby-Doo cast interviews where they were just talking about Shaggy having this immense power and, like, I can't do any of them justice, but it was just such a specifically weird meme. <laughs> a specifically weird time to be on the internet. And it just, it, it really ties into this whole vibe that this movie is giving off, that people were like, yeah. That's a thing. I can accept that as a thing. There's no rhyme to, or reason to the memes, like how they pop up or where they'll, how long they'll last for, but it's entertaining to see something so random just popularised and warped to such a degree. Mm -hmm. So good. Um, so Mike Myers was apparently meant to originally play Shaggy. How do you feel about that? Um, I presume this was around the time of Austin Powers hitting it big. And I think Shrek had just happened as well. Oh, okay. So, mm, I'm not sure. I think, okay, I think Mike Myers might have been a bit more showy with the role than Matthew Lillard's were. And what I like about Lillard is that he really embraces the role without putting it across as too cartoony. And yeah, that's such a with, good way of describing it. With him, the CG effects, I don't necessarily believe Scooby-Doo's there, but Matthew Lillard makes it so convincing that he's acting opposite a Great Dane that barely talks English that I can believe it through that. That's such a good point. I'd not even considered that. A lot of what brings Scooby-Doo to life is Matthew Lillard's performance. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's held up, you know, as much as anything's held up from that time. And actually, it's held up a lot more than, like, the troll in the bathroom from the Philosopher's Stone and the CGI of <laughs> Scooby-Doo. Like, Fair enough. Children in the Bathroom could have been taken from the like PlayStation 1 game of Harry Potter and put into the movie. Whereas Scooby-Doo is like more... It's not quite Gollum, but it's like, mm. you know... I, I was never like, oh, at any point watching him. Other than like when you're meant to be. <laughs> mm. I'll agree about that, but... I was less than convinced with the monsters coming out of people that were allergic to sunlight. That's fair. That's fair. I think the majority of the budget was set aside for Scooby-Doo and then uh, right, everything so? else, which seems bizarre, doesn't it? For them to be mm. like, we're going to go out of our way to make it harder and more expensive to ensure that we have like real live 
monsters made from CGI instead of men in suits, which is what it's meant to be, which would have cheapened the costs of our movie, mm. like, so much. Um, really bizarre. I've just read that Tim Curry was offered the role of Mondavarius, <laughs> and mm. he turned it down when he heard that it was Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> which, like... <laughs> You can understand. And it wouldn't have been right. Scrappy-Doo is Rowan Atkinson. Scrappy-Doo is the sort of underdog, silly, mm. goofy, sort of... Like, if Scrappy-Doo was a person, and this isn't an insult towards Rowan Atkinson, but Scrappy-Doo would... Tim Curry's too, like, evil. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Tim... I get what you mean. Rowan Atkinson, we know him more from... Mr. Bean, and it's a more of a role to put you at ease because he's such a comedic figure that you can laugh at, whereas Tim Curry, he can be the figure you love to spend time with, or he can be, yes, creepy and evil, and yeah. he does it very well, and oh. I'm always up for more Tim Curry, Please. but I think you made a good point that if Tim Curry had been in the role, you'd be a lot more like, yep, he's the villain. This is the thing, I was just going to say that. If Tim Curry had stepped out onto the dock and greeted Mystery Inc., the entire mm. audience would have gone, oh, Mondavarius is the villain. Whereas they do manage to bring out some sort of mystery because they're like, oh, is it the creepy voodoo man on the beach? You're like, maybe he's the red herring, so it could be him. Is it the, like, scary bald man and his, like, wrestler friend? You're like, understandable. Um... <laughs> And then obviously Mondavarius is obviously a suspect, but because it's Rowan Atkinson, you're like, no, he bought them here. Like, it can't be. Look at his little fucking face. It's so cute. If it was Tim Curry, you'd be like, yeah, it's Mondavarius. I don't know how mm. or why, but it is. Because it's Tim Curry. <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you expect? Um, So I think it would have sort of upset the movie's tone and vibe to have, as mu as you say, much as I want Tim Curry injected into my veins. I don't think... <laughs> it would have worked here. And it, yeah. No, I think you're right. It's like when Mondavarius is captured by that monster, you think he's genuinely in danger. And when he's revealed to be the big bad later, it's like, oh, of course. Whereas mm. if Tim Curry was captured, you'd think, oh, I wonder what's actually going on here. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be like, wise to what's whatever, man. Like, clearly that's fucking the main villain of this movie because it's fucking Tim Curry. Like, what do you exactly. want? God, what to say? Like, I almost wish we had differing opinions just so I could, like, really try and justify, mm. or you could really try and justify what it is about this movie that we find so enjoyable, even 20 years, 10, 20 years later. Um, if you want differing... How about this? Um, I understand the original series went for Fred and Daphne to be together, but in this film, I felt more geared towards hoping Fred and Velma would be together. As a way, that's interesting. Way they, yeah, the way they grew together to off one another, and the way their arcs intersected, and mm. that moment when they're like in close proximity, talking to each other about the plan with the giant skull head. I just felt more into their them two as a couple, whereas by the end of it, before 
Fred and Daphne kiss, they have that one glance in there. And it's so true. They they don't set up that relationship other than the mm. fact that it's real life couple, Freddie Prince Jr. and yeah. Sarah Michelle Gellar whatsoever. People just assume because it's like the hot people get together. I mean, we all know the one true pairing of Scooby-Doo is Velma and Daphne. Like, fundamentally, that is the one true romance in the oh, Scooby-Doo I was going to go gang. with Shaggy and Scooby. And, and obviously Shaggy and Scooby, but... um. Yeah, if you have to play it straight, literally, for the <laughs> mainstream audience, then, yeah, you make a really... I think it would have caused an absolute uproar. Mm. Um, but this, to be fair, this was a film where they were going to go for Shaggy's an outright stoner, and Velma <laughs> and Daphne were going to be have a side relationship, so they mm -hmm. weren't exactly pandering to the audiences to the, from the word yeah, go to the mainstream it's very true but then in which case they should have gone full-on with the Velma and Daphne relationship because we all oh, know definitely that that's the the one true pairing of true love but um yeah you make a good point like they really do set up Fred and Velma's relationship uh, a lot more but then it is nice as well to have that as a form of platonic respect and understanding mm. and growing as people where you don't then have to like get in each other's pants and, and not undermine everything you've just learned but it, it overshadows it because then you start applying cinematic narratives of like oh well like you know we need it's fine we can stop learning now we've done the one hard bit and now we're together so like who cares whereas by keeping them apart it's like and now we will continue to grow and learn as people I'm sure that mm. happens in Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. I'm sure that Fred and Velma's relationship of growing and learning as people continues very strongly. Honestly, <laughs> I, I... What time is it now? I finished it about an um, hour and a half ago, and I can't think if Fred and Velma had <sighs> interactions apart from one moment where oh. she's worrying about whether Seth Green loves her or something. God damn it. This is the thing, like... There is a couple of moments in this movie that I'm like, Jesus Christ, as a modern audience member. Um, but mm. even they are meant to be dumb. Like, when Fred turns to Valmer and says, dorky chicks like you turn me on too. Like, you are meant to be like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, that's mm. the whole point of it. But, um, yeah, there's... there's... <sighs> really trying to think if there was anything that like upset me but i don't think there was they're quite i can't say i'm comfortable with the one person of color being relegated to that voodoo pre practitioner stereotype it is bizarre that wherever we may be we're clearly mm. not um in europe or like Anywhere where on screen, especially, you predominantly have white people. We mm. are clearly in a place where you would think a lot more non-white people would be living. Um, and yet, yeah. yeah, there's only one black character in the entire movie. Mm. I think the wrestler is Latino. I could be... I believe so, but... Mm, um, I don't want to say, but... Now, to be fair, he's right. covered with a mask. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yes, I had not realised that one black person. And, like, they could have easily made a member of the Mystery Inc. gang black. Mm, very that's easily. very true. Um, and they, they chose not to. And 
Yeah, that's a good point. If they're already changing things up, then why not allow for more of diversity within the main group? And it especially, and it's not an excuse at all. Yes, yeah. you're right. Back in 2002, I don't think it was a priority, and I say that in the like most cold way mm. because you know, unfortunately, at the moment, I think we do have to actively think and try harder. Of course. Because it doesn't, unfortunately, naturally come. And if your entire uh, studio and director and writer and crew are white, chances are no one's going to be there to be like, hey, maybe we should like not cast a white person. Let's go crazy. Mm. Um, and then what? Uh, Fan 4 stick that came out oh, in yeah. uh, 2015. Dominated just by the fact that they were like, hey, he's not white. And everyone was like, wait, what? I don't understand. Um, Can we go back on that? I don't get how it works. How can it And it's like, so they're black. That's what's happening. They're, they're a black person. <laughs> Let's talk about the movie. And they're like, no, sorry. Can we go back to how that person's not white? Um, And yeah, it was ghastly. And that's... No, I mean, the... Yeah. Films centred around beings with stretching powers, right? being on fire, and oh no, it's one person not being white, which is the thing they can't wrap their heads around, the caucasity. It is literally um, so baffling that in the amount of pieces of media that are like, have dragons and um, aliens and... <laughs> You have one like black person in there and people are like this doesn't make sense historically and you're like oh but the dragons do um completely ridiculous the same mm. thing happened when we tried to have a female doctor who uh people Ooh. were like but i thought the doctor was a man the doctor's an alien the doctor can be a hoover if you want him to be um <laughs> i would fit with the name well dr hoover <laughs> exactly doctor could literally be a house plant like, he's fucking alien. She mm -hmm. is now a fucking alien. And she's brilliant. Stan, a female Doctor Who. Um, but yeah. God, what else is there to say? It's just so fucking good. <laughs> um, problems, problems, problems. Oh, when they're all swapping bodies and Fred's <laughs> first reaction is, I can look at myself naked. Yeah, that I think that as well was like... That's all, that's where you can really see that original R-rated script coming into mm -hmm. play as well. When um, they all, I just again though, I just really appreciate all the actors playing each other and like making comments. Like Shaggy's like Daphne, what's wrong with you? Don't you ever eat? Like, no, she probably doesn't. <laughs> she's a woman in two thousand two. Of course, Shaggy would focus on food. Even but also, I think it bodies. does it does make a really good point that like. Yeah, the reason a lot of these actresses look this way is because they don't eat. Like, even as a kid, I was like, oh, it's deep. It's, it's making a point when it's just meant to be a throwaway joke because Shaggy likes eating food. But, like, he doesn't say that about anyone else. Um, and the joke is meant to be that, yeah, like, women are anorexic because society tells them to be. And it's dangerous and kills. 
um saint scooby-doo can be deep <laughs> that is i never even caught on to that but yeah. i suppose i'm male so i'm gonna miss things like that and of course it does affect males as well but i guess if mm. if you've not been fed it your entire mm, life especially you're not it's not going to be the first thing that you instantly think of um but yeah see learning and growing scooby-doo <laughs> it's for everyone <laughs> um but yeah i think ah oh god but sarah michelle geller does such a good acting as fred and but it's yeah it's horrible when he's mm. like and then he like looks down at his own boobs and you're like oh yeah stop stop doing that that's not that's not your body <laughs> like, yeah i think yeah it's so interesting because when you go back to things and you're just you're clouded by how much you love it that even though you can pull out things that are problematic you still want to forgive them because mm. you just love it so much and you can't you can you can you can just excuse it um which is dangerous. But the thing is, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can love something and acknowledge it has problems and there are areas where it needs to be better. I think so. And I think also it, it's about not erasing things as well. Like if, mm. um, not that I think anyone's actively trying to erase this live action Scooby-Doo 2002 movie from history. But um, yeah, just as you say, acknowledging, being like, that was shitty. Let's be better in future. It's when it mm. keeps happening that uh, it's annoying. When nothing's been learned. Yeah. Um, God, the soundtrack fucking slaps. Like, it's so good. It does hold up, I must admit. <laughs> it's, it's just so fun. Like, when they're like, they've like met up again and they're all mm. like, I've got this, we learned this, we found this out. And then they like run through the forest back to the like bar to like you cannot run and you cannot hide and you're just like yeah <laughs> go Scooby Doo it's so good oh it's just so much fun like honestly email in post my Instagram post my Twitter if you fucking hate the live action Scooby Doo 2002 movie I will come for you but I want to know why what is wrong with it <laughs> nothing. I must admit, the elongated fart humour, I'm not ready for me. That's a good point, especially as a child, I like, really hated, I was so sensitive to toilet humour, and to this day, mm. uh, that was the bit that I decided to go and get another pen that worked, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'll leave the room. So well I didn't timed. even watch it properly this time round, uh, which is why I've forgotten about it, because I was just like, oh no, it's this bit, I leave the room at this bit. Mm. Um, it is mercifully short, mm. like, and it's not throughout the whole movie. No, um, that's true. There's only there's like a little there's like a segment with like Scrap uh, Scooby and Shaggy, and then they sort of like do a coda on it a couple of minutes later. And I mm. think, as far as like gross out toilet humor, that's as far as it goes. Yeah, it's not like every five minutes someone's been covered in poo or yeah, someone's... Exactly. Like, I think the sequel does do more gross... It spreads out the gross out humour a bit. And, yeah. But it's probably no more than what's in this film, I'd say. Well, but, I don't know. And I, it feels very much like it. they were like, shit, this is for kids. What are kids like? I don't know, putting mm. a fart joke. And they were like, well, we've sort of finished most of the script now. Uh, why don't we just put in like a fart joke that lasts like five minutes? Do that. And that's kind of what they did. And it felt like they were just like, shit, this is for kids. Quick. 
um, and jammed it in. Whereas the second one, because it was more mm. from the set word go, that they were like, this is for kids. They were like, cool, kids need like shit jokes all the way through. <laughs> that makes sense because when this place where Shaggy and Scooby have that fart off in is where the same set as that awful video Fred and Velma are watching in the brainwashing room, that parody of teachers showing these videos of adults trying to be down with the kids and hit them. that incredible video. Oh yeah. (laughs) That word. Ding! Keeping it real. And this is the thing as well, it, it used that sort of language that wasn't even i mean the early 2000s was a funny time like playboy was all over everybody's pencil cases and high school musical was like enormous Mm. um but we i guess it was coming more out of the 90s where that sort of hip language was more used and when it was being written perhaps they hadn't thought that with the new millennium we would eradicate that and <laughs> bring in our own new languages. Um, and because of that, it makes it sort of weirdly dated. And because of that, mm. it makes it... Other than the very obvious, you can look at this movie and be like, that is early 2000s. The mm. movie itself is kind of not in time. Like it's... Because you've got these characters from the 60s that are, like, acting like... Like, no one really uses a mobile phone. No one Mm. really, like, uses technology that dates it at all. There's no, like, weird fax machines that are used. The language could be a, a mixture from the sort of 60s through to the 90s with the sort of groovy, hip, radical, cool, disco... Um, same with the costumes, they went more with like colour rather than like time and because of that one minute she's in a 60s go-go boots then she's in like a 90s cat suit and and I think that's why it's cool as well and I think that's where the second one fails because it doesn't set itself by going to and setting itself in one place I think it does itself a service whereas in the sequel by setting it just in Coolsville there's no like aesthetic there other than like oh it's Coolsville like Gotham no that's a good point because um in the sequel you have they have their own mystery ink um hideout their own headquarters and Mm. they've got a tv which comes out of the floor and it's all this stuff which feels a lot more of the time but with Scooby-Doo it it's one of those things which you feel they can bring out a new version for every generation. They don't have to change who the characters are or what they dress as, mm. and it still fits because they are recognisable. Um, and there's always a different version in the same way there is of Winnie the Pooh or the Muppets. Yeah, it's so true. Like, um, it, it, it is weirdly timeless, um, despite looking very much like this. I mean, the latest Scooby-Doo movie came out a week ago. Um, not for us, Brits. No, I'm not sure. I haven't watched it because, yeah, I don't mm. think it's available in England. Mm. But in America, Scoob! Exclamation uh, mark came out um, with none of the, like, 
proper animate an animation cast voice cast they uh replaced the original voice cast with well, not the original voice cast but the mm. normal voice cast with a bunch of celebrities that apparently do a very mediocre job and it's a shame. uh it was shit apparently but um that sucks i think oh. that's what they said about scooby doo mm. 2002 as well so what do they know <laughs> you never know in 10 years well what's it 18 years it might be reappraised and might be a load of people come out and say actually this is my scooby-doo this is what i love of the character yeah you'll um you'll scroll down the wikipedia page and it'll say like this has been put in the national film archives as a film of historical importance and great influence <laughs> look at him look at his little cgi face it's good it's great i love it <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're right, there he is, Velma's friend. Um, I pff, I can bang on about this movie all day. I I don't know what else there is to say about it. I'm ba I'm blown away that it was James Gunn that wrote the screenplay. Like, no wonder it's so fucking mm. good. Um, and after this, he had his call, he has his choice of what to do next. They offered him a load more Hanna-Barbera properties, and he decided to go for Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Nice. Which says about what he wants to do, and it's paid off for him, so good on him. I love it. I love on the poster they don't put the actors' names, they put the characters' names, because these are people to a lot of people. They feel real to us, no matter mm. who's playing them. They really do, and they are so mm. perfectly cast. God, I love it so much. Um, any closing thoughts on live-action Scooby-Doo? Mm. Um, I think this is one of the best examples of what I've noticed a lot of adaptations do, where the opening is, this is what you loved about the original stuff, and we're doing it with a proper budget to it, and then it'll do a time jump or for however long, and it'll transition over to having these characters do something different in a different location this is more these characters in a different scenario than you're accustomed to yeah and it works well it does work really well um what else does that um the dora the explorer movie from recently did that I really want to see that. Like, I it's kept seeing it great. advertised, and I was like, that looks fucking amazing. Like, I'm not even going to lie, lads. Like, that looks so good. That looks like I... proper, like, 1999 mummy vibes. Mm. It, I think you'd love it. It's definitely... It's like actually like Scooby-Doo, where it's very pokes fun at itself, but doing it through a loving way. Yeah. Like, because did you... You what? Um, you're aware of Dora the Explorer and how she's always looking at the camera and going, can you say, insert Spanish word, uh -huh. and she does that when she's a little girl and the parents are like, what's she looking at? <laughs> it's okay, she'll grow out of it. <laughs> it's so good. I have to watch this. It's worth it. Oh, man. Yeah, it just looks it's so much fun. fun. It's very fun. I think you'll love it. Yay. There you go. Recommendation for the Dora the Explorer movie. Um, and recommendations for the Scooby-Doo 2002 movie. Like, of course. I was obsessed with this movie. I was obsessed with it. I 
got my, I tried to get my, they didn't really do merchandise back then in the same way that they do now. Um, so there wasn't really much to get a hold of, but anything that I could, a lot of stuff came in cereal packets. Mm. I would like hoard all of that. I was obsessed with Daphne because I loved Buffy at the time. Uh, at the time. <laughs> I still love <laughs> Buffy. Um, it still holds up. Um, it mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm just looking at the poster just like, Pamela Anderson's in this movie. Like, well, what? <laughs> it's interesting. The poster is from the opening bit as well. It doesn't yeah. give you a hint as what the rest of the film's going to be once you're through that. Yeah. So it's a nice little guessing game if you're not accustomed to what the film's about. So good. So clever. Just, just, oh, I just, I'm so happy because films are so arduous and time consuming and expensive. And there are so many films that are made every year that no one ever gets to see because of whatever reason. I'm just so happy that this got greenlit and bought all the way through to the end and put out in cinemas and then put out for DVD release. Like, just thank you, film gods. That's sweet. <laughs> the film gods look down upon the Scooby Dooby fans. <laughs> With respect and love. Except Scrappy Doo. Fuck him. <laughs> Except fuck Scrappy Doo. So good. Um, do you have anything to promote? Are you part of anything? Do you, are you, like, what do you do? Um, it's also okay if you don't, but just in case you do. I do. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, under the handle RoddersJ04, spelt with two Ds. I also write reviews and film articles over at thereviewingrodders.co.uk. And I'm a contributor at flyfidelity.co.uk. And so, yeah, if you want to see me muse about films and explain why I loved something or why I thought something was shit, go check it out. Yay! That's cool. So do you tend to work on new releases or do you go through old movies as well? I've mainly been doing new releases, but I'm trying to um, trying to prop up the films which from the past which maybe haven't gotten a fair shout. Like, That's cool. Mm, like one of my favourites I've watched not that long ago was Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Oh yeah. Which can't get a DVD release over here, but the horror channel can show it for some nice. reason. But it's a great film and very worth checking out. Oh, the movie? Yeah, the, the one with Jada Pinkett and Thomas Hayden Church and... Oh, Billy Zane. Billy Zane's fantastic in that. Oh my god! I really, really know him from, like, uh, Titanic. Is that him? That's him. He wears a wig in that. Really? Yeah, it does not look like it, but... No. He's, he's always... Maybe not always, but he's regularly bald. That's crazy. Because mm. he's not bald in Back to the Future 1 and 2. Which is was he his... not? Yeah. Oh <laughs> he's one God. of Biff's gang. It's like his wow. first movie ever. When, next time you watch it, check out the three of Biff's gang. One mm. of them is Billy Zane. Crazy. I'll keep an eye out which one looks like a cool dude. <laughs> yeah. Literally, it does. Thank you so much. This has just been really fun. I'm sorry for anyone that wanted, like, deep insights on the Scooby-Doo movie. I love it so much that I can't... I can't. I just have to praise it. Uh, sorry, wasn't a bit more of a divisive conversation. <laughs> we, we could re-record it on Pokemon 2. 
Yeah, come back on and do Pokemon too. I'll do them backwards. I've done three and then I'll do two and then someone will have to come and do one. <laughs> Um, God, Pokemon 3 was such a long time ago now, I can't even really remember. I just remember being bored. Is that what I say about it? Um, you, your feelings were pretty much you weren't into the Pokemon as you were growing up, but you did agree that it, but you didn't have a horse in the matter of whether it was better than Digimon, and you didn't like the film or the girl with her magical powers. Yeah, that was it. Man. Good times. <laughs> mm. I might be a bit biased because I grew up with it and I still love it. And That's fair. I think I remember watching the Digimon movie as well. I've done that. So I've done Pokemon mm. 3 and the Digimon movie. So I'll need to do Pokemon 2. So yeah, come back on and do Pokemon 2. Thank you what's, very much. It's been like lovely to be here. Colon for that. Pokemon 2. Pokemon the movie 2000. Nice. Mm. Nice. So you can guess when it was released. <laughs> 1981? Yeah. Um, yay, thank you so much. This was so much fun. No, this was great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye. Hello, darling. It's me, Tessianos, host of the ongoing comic book discussion podcast. And if I got a Halloween treat for you. This October, I am hosting a horror comic marathon for 31 days. That's right, my frightful fiends. Every single day from October 1st to October 31st, OCD will review a horror comic to count down to the greatest holiday ever conjured. You can follow OCD on Instagram and OCD Podcast, Facebook at facebook.com OCD Podcast and Twitter at Ongoing Comic Pod. It's going to be a hauntingly good time, so be there or, or just, just be there. Ooh. Scooby Dooby Doo. I said check one, two, one, two. Up on my Scooby mic. You never knew a dog and a mic would sound so tight. To my left, to my right. You never knew a dog and a mic would sound so tight. To my left. To my right, give me Scooby Snacks and I'll be rapping all night. To my left, to my right, you never knew a dog and a mic would sound so tight. To my left, to my right, give me Scooby Snacks and I'll be rapping all night. Why This Film Podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. Head to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast and you can select a tier. For £3 a month, you can join Camelot and enjoy early access to episodes, including seasons one to three. You'll get to vote in polls and get a personal shout out on the pod. For £5 a month, you can join Fern Gully with instant access to everything from Camelot. Fern Gully members can also enjoy bonus content, live episode voting power, plus access to monthly movie night. Grab your popcorn and a drink of your choice as we pajama up and watch a movie together remotely. And for £10 a month, you can join the Enchanted Forest, where on top of everything from Camelot and Fern Gully, you can be part of a live episode where we all discuss a movie chosen by you. And if you're not into 80s and 90s animated tiers, you can skip all that and make a custom pledge of an amount that suits you. Or you can head over to co-fi.com forward slash why this film podcast and buy me a coffee with a one-off payment. We will be adding hot chocolate to that coffee and probably cream and marshmallows and sprinkles, but you don't need to worry about that. Thank you to all who donate. And thanks to my patron, David, for supporting this episode on Patreon. 
why this film podcast is my happy place. I love chatting to guests and revisiting long lost movies and I hope you do too.